0: And welcome back to the whale nerds podcast this is mini number 11 my name is caitlin and i'm here with adam and a special guest this week erica um, who actually has been a guest before on episode 56 so we have her back for a mini episode this week hi everyone hello what's up <laughs> this and is the red flannel episode yeah this is the red yeah. flannel mini
1: <laughs> and caitlin's got the giggles
0: yeah i do Because we're just very giddy when we hang out together. We're like middle school girls having a slumber party literally every time. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what the heck we're talking about, Erica and I are in the same screen because I'm staying at Erica's house right now. So On Long Island. Yes, I'm in Long Island. So what's up, Adam? How are you?
1: You know, living life. Just took Luna to the beach. She was running around like a chicken with her head cut off. Nice. So nice. She's was crazy. She loves the beach. And yeah, I actually had the day off today, which was like a first shocker in forever. And I had the day off tomorrow too, because our trip got canceled.
0: Wow. Well, Erica and I, um, sort of were playing around, but also work today. Mm-hmm. And, um, Erica is Erica is a, what would you best describe it? Freelance
2: journalist, but also works
0: for the Carl Safina center.
2: I'm like a writer slash conservation outreach person yeah who writes a lot of stuff and takes photos of whales and things
0: yes and she is a published author
2: (laughs) (laughs) this is my book there you go so yeah lots of things
0: yeah. So we had Erica on the podcast for episode 56, mostly talking about the plastic crisis in our oceans. Um, and at the time she was writing a book, which I think had a different title. Yeah. Then, um, but was, has now settled and published as thicker than water. Does that have a little, yeah. The quest for solutions to the plastic crisis. So um, I don't know if you want to talk for a few minutes about like the different parts of your journey that are in the book that people can read about without giving it all
2: away? Sure, let's dive into (laughs) it. So I start where I really started when I tried to dive into this problem. So as Caitlin explained, like I do a lot of different writing and media and outreach stuff. So that's kind of like my purpose in life, right? So when I was trying to pursue journalism, um, just the beginning, I got invited to go sailing on a really life-changing trip across the garbage patch. And that was my connection to Carl Safino, is that he was invited to go on the trip he knew me I had been working with him freelance and then he said I can't go sailing across the garbage patch with a bunch of Danish people I'm busy so I "I would love to do that and uh, I did and it was an unbelievable trip and it was my first take of like what the reality of the problem was because growing up, you know, I thought like most people, okay, there's like a floating island of garbage in the middle of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that. The problem is much more insidious and spread, widespread. So from there, I went back to land with a lot of sailing trips along the way, (laughs) going across the Pacific again, south though, to the South Pacific, and then across the Atlantic from Portugal to Antigua and around Iceland Mm -hmm. and uh, a bunch of other places, lots of whale watching in between. Yeah, some visits to California. See you and (laughs) the whale nerds. Yeah, yeah, just lots lots of travel. But the point of the book is to make us all kind of stop and look at not just like the way we use plastic, how much plastic we use, but why do we use plastic? And kind of the core values that we have and what needs to change in order to you know it's not just about saving the planet it's like I learned along the way that plastic is driving environmental racism it's driving species extinction Um, our whole biogeochemical nature of our planet is changing like soil is changing and I come from a family of farmers on my mom's side so when you hear about fruits and vegetables and plants with plastic in it that's really alarming um, when you're so connected to the earth so that was my, my journey. I also, I'm a wildlife rehabilitator. So any wildlife harmed by plastic, it really kind of pulls at my heartstrings like most people, but I know the suffering up close, I guess. So it's, it's pretty depressing. Someone recently, recently reviewed my book. They were like a readable book on a very depressing topic. <laughs> and <I was> like, <laughs> that's- like,
1: That's that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> that is
2: the way. So yeah, that was, um, that was my journey. Yeah.
1: yeah um, as, sounds like quite the journey.
2: It is pretty incredible. We had a few incidents too.
0: Should I get into that? <laughs> well, I was <laughs> going to say, do you want to talk a little bit about um, like, did you have some stuff in here about St. James? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that, I mean, a lot of our listeners are pretty aware of like the plastic crisis in, in the ocean, but also like the chemical part of it and the human risk part of it I think is something that maybe not everyone's so well versed in I don't know if you wanted
2: to talk about that for a minute yeah of course Um, those are those are really good points and again like you look at the book and you're like oh plastic in the ocean and that was like a way that our narrative globally has really focused on plastic because the ocean is a huge repository of plastic like no doubt there's problems there because it's just so filled. But when we talk about the human costs, um, it actually starts at the front end of the pipeline of plastic, where plastic is produced in the shadow of, um, sorry, plastic is produced and people are living in the shadow of the industry. And uh, these toxic chemicals used in the production of plastic, which are a lot of um, phthalates and dioxins and heavy metals. Sometimes there's a, a lot of different chemicals that are kind of proprietary and It's not known what goes into every single type of plastic, Um, but we do know certain chemicals go into specific types of plastics. And those chemicals, when they're uh, processed, they can emit toxics into the air around. So um, there are people, mostly people of color, um, indigenous communities that are forced onto these so-called fence lines um, and it's really a heartbreaking situation of environment like clear envi- very clear environmental racism. And I went to mm-hmm. St. James, Louisiana, um, where Formosa Plastics, which is a Taiwanese company is planning to build a huge factory. and it would be like a nine point four billion dollar factory making all kinds of different plastics um, at great cost to the community. And this community already has 12 industrial facilities. so, It can't take any more. And there's a remarkable effort by residents of that community led by Sharon Levine of Rise St. James. Um, And she's an environmental hero, environmental justice hero. Um, But yet the fight is not over. So it's like, we all have to be allies to these communities and not just say, oh, they have to defend themselves. Cause it's almost, it's a problem that's like so great. You're up against a huge billion billion dollar corporation. Like that's just not a fair fight. Yeah, so that's the story yeah. of James <laughs> in short, very short. Yeah,
1: I remember um, watching A Plastic Ocean on Netflix.
2: Yeah.
1: And there's a scene where they go to, I can't remember which island it is, but there's an island and uh, in the South Pacific. And essentially, there's just, you know, plastic washing up on the island and yeah. people start to use it as... um. like as something to burn, you know, so that, so they burn it as something to get his fire started so they can eat. And so all this, and then, you know, it gets to the air and their lungs are all messed up. And it it really is, I mean, whichever way you look at it, you know, from an environmental standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, from a social standpoint, like it's just destructive at the end of the day. Um, And you're right. Like when you're going up against billion dollar corporations, it's, impossible it seems like especially for those lower communities that don't really get a lot of help
0: right yeah one I think the other thing to maybe take home from that is like we're not going to recycle our way out of this right right? like there's no way that we can deal with what's already in the environment without addressing like the corporate level yeah exactly crime that's happening against our planet basically
2: yeah it is a crime too like no one asked for this and suddenly like the corporations are shifting it to be like oh well people want convenience so we make plastic but that's not necessarily what people are asking for in fact like it feels like discontent is so high right now mm-hmm. like we need connection and cooperation and understanding and a clean environment of course especially for the whales yeah but <laughs> and people too yeah
0: um and there are some there are some adventurous passages because Erica tells some of her firsthand <laughs> sailing stories. accounts of sailing <laughs> across the Pacific.
2: And yeah. did you have a sailing across the Atlantic personal account too? That one didn't go in the okay, book, yeah. but um, I'm hoping to write a few excerpts, of, like not excerpts, but um, you know, subsequent stories about that. But yeah, on the Pacific, we've had some harrowing times, um, including mm. a loss of an engine and a loss of a rudder. So imagine a totally helpless boat, kind of bobbing through the, the garbage patch.
0: <laughs> that was us. Also, <laughs> so I
2: well, I tell everyone too. I'm like, they're like, oh, you're on a boat, a research boat. I'm like, this was a simple sailboat. There was not a real toilet. We were all using the same bucket, and everyone's <laughs> like, that's gross. And I'm like, yeah, but like, understand how simple that is, and then juxtapose that with like the problem at hand, which was like this just soup of plastic. Um, and it really makes you think, like, "Wow, convenience comes at like such a cost." Like, I'm happy pooping in a bucket. To be honest, <laughs> you.
1: you're one of the few, that's for sure.
0: It's a, it was a research boat, mostly because it was a boat with researchers on yes. it. On it, a, exactly. A researchers, not
2: everyone. There were a lot of sailors. Um, <laughs> Yeah. The sailors were—they're fantastic people. They—they became—they showed me that anyone could be a scientist if they want to figure out the answer to something, um, because they did learn. And I mean, even Rasmus, my <laughs> my partner, he—he's a sailor and he tried to figure out the whole thing. And and you, you wouldn't—you know—you the captain of the boat too, Torsten. I mean, at first, if you meet these people they know the sea, like, inside and out, and then it makes sense. You're like, of course they would want to study this, and it's not like you have to be someone in a white lab coat to be an expert on this. It really showed me, like, it is the communities forging the way, too, and individuals who care. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: as a special treat for this mini-sode, I asked Erica if she'd be willing to read a passage from the book, too, as a little teaser. Um, I will tell you, this is a top ranking new oh. mar- what is it new marine <laughs> science category book on amazon so, as of yesterday yeah, very highly specific mm. category best, best we're going selling for <laughs> new marine science topic book so brace yourselves, brace yourselves for a little passage from thicker than water
2: okay <clears throat> I get a little um, self-conscious when I'm reading because I can't see my face. But anyway, we're going to go for it. While some marine animals like seabirds, fish, and corals may be attracted to eating plastic because it tricks them into believing it is food, other animals may not be aware or able to control whether or not they ingest it. This is the case for filter feeding animals of all sizes, from the blue whale, Earth's largest living animal, which can grow as long as three full-size school buses parked in a straight line, To blue mussels which can fit comfortably in the palm of a human hand. These very different creatures both use their bodies to sieve small living organisms like krill and plankton out of large quantities of seawater. Because microplastic is roughly the same size and shape as filter feeders food sources, it is easily though unintentionally incorporated into their diets. I'd gained some first-hand insight into the ubiquity of unintentional microplastic consumption in the seas a few years after Plastic Change's Los Angeles-Honolulu expedition when Torsten, the captain, and I sailed together again, this time around the western and north coast of Iceland. On that journey, arranged by Ocean Missions, a marine conservation organization newly founded by Spanish marine biologist Belen garcia Ovide, we observed humpback, orca, minke, and sperm whales feeding in waters carrying considerable amounts of microplastic. Hers would be among the first groups in Iceland to investigate local microplastic pollution despite the country's emergence as a tourism destination following the dramatic eruption of its... Oh, God. I have to say the name of the volcano in Iceland. And oh! I can't do it.
1: Uh-oh.
2: I don't know. I'm so sorry, Iceland. I didn't mean to do that. I probably should know how to say it. It's in my book. Yeah, you should. I should know. Anyways, gonna- <laughs> back know to my reality. Holiday. I will own it and say I will learn how to say that word, <laughs> um, volcano. In 2010, and all the plastic, all the plastic the influx of visitors inevitably brought. While the Icelandic waters were not as polluted as the eastern North Pacific gyre, they certainly contained microplastic. The remote frigid sea was also full of life, teeming with cod and capelin. So much cod, and overall. Seemed our manta trawls were more likely to swallow seaweed, plankton, or fish eggs—favorite foods of marine creatures than microplastic. However, this also meant microplastic was mixing with the whales' food, right where we witnessed whales actively searching for something to eat. I remember watching a small group of humpbacks; their barnacle-pleated chins swelling like bellows as they gushed great mouthfuls of seawater through enormous baleen-plated jaws, entrapping krill, capelin, copepods. A filter-feeding adult humpback whale draws in nearly 19,000 liters of water and one and a half metric tons of krill per day. As the crew observed the whales, Canadian marine biologist, Charlotte Boston, who had also joined Ocean Mission's expedition, had remarked, wow, imagine how much plastic they trap in each gulp, dot, dot, dot. Our trawls revealed that where sea life gathered, microplastic was also likely to intrude. The whales really could do nothing to avoid eating it. Surprisingly, little research has been done to understand why microplastics and wildlife are congregating in the same areas of the ocean. However, scientists associated with the, I said the wrong word, (laughs) scientists affiliated with the University of Siena in Italy have noted that in the Northwestern Mediterranean cool nutrient rich offshore currents appear to attract both plankton and microplastics into a key fin whale feeding ground, the Pelago Sanctuary for Mediterranean Marine Mammals. Like humpbacks, fin whales use mouths outfitted with baleen to filter plankton and small fish from seawater. If microplastic is aggregating in whales' feeding grounds, it's likely they're consuming it. Bastron, who studies whales in Iceland, pointed out that the deep seas we were sailing also experienced much upwelling of cold, nutrient-rich water. Off Iceland's northern coast, an unusual confluence of warm Atlantic and cold Arctic currents also seems to attract marine life and people. Where there's plankton and fish, whales and fishermen follow, Bastron had said pointing to several hulking fishing vessels looming nearby, spooling in their plastic long lines. From these Icelandic waters, we pulled out tiny nylon fibers, which we could clearly identify as pieces of fishing nets and lines. Like the gear being hauled up by the fishing boats, these lines were clear and blue. All across the world, non-human animals are suffering the consequences of humanity's plastic addiction far more quickly than we are learning how exactly they, and perhaps also we, are being harmed. What's more, all the microplastic ingested by or entangling animals, in addition to that skimmed off the top layer of Earth's waterways, does not account for all the plastic that that is expected to be in the oceans. To find the rest of humanity's missing plastic, scientists have had to dive deeper, probing for plastic out of sight below the surface. So that was a little passage about the impact of microplastic on whales specifically, um, but also the idea that you know, for all the research we've done and most of the research I've been involved in or have documented has happened on top of the surface of the ocean. And we know that that's not where all animals feed. It's not where all animals live. Um, But we do know that since animals are eating plastic, there is some in their bodies. So when we're trying to understand where did all the plastic that we've created go, some is in the ocean. Yeah. Some is inside the animals, but there's like a lot out there that's not accounted for. So where is it? Is the question so I dive into that in the book a little bit more hope you Woo-hoo! enjoyed it Thank sorry you. sorry no, I cool. again for the volcano I feel very bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I it we should have thought of that when we previewed the panel. No, I know well fine we'll, we'll have like, to ask yeah. an
0: Icelandic person how to pronounce it
2: well ocean missions they operate in Iceland they'll, they'll school me on that one. <laughs> I can count on them they're great so if people want to buy your book where can they buy it You can go to ericaserino.com slash plastic. And I have many options for buying. You can get it on Audible. You can get it on Amazon, even though I'd suggest you go to an independent bookseller, but you can do that too. Um, Canio's Books is a Long Island-based bookstore. I really like them. Um, Yeah. Oh, it's in Powell's Books in Portland. Oh, cool. Yeah. I looked at that the other day. I was like, they only have two copies left. Ooh. ooh, Exciting.
1: (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Yeah. i love that bookstore um yeah so all over but yeah if in, and if anyone is interested in like sharing their plastic stories with me that would be uh, a cool opportunity too. because i'm always ready to amplify any efforts out there for solutions because we need some solutions these days yeah for sure um can they find you or your work on social media anywhere i'm on the instagram and the twitter <laughs> <laughs> And not the Facebook anymore, but those two. Yeah. So I'm at, I think, I think that's really reassuring, isn't it? <laughs> that I don't know. She changed
0: her Instagram handle like four
2: times. I did so. change it many times. I was indecisive. Now it's quite simple. It is just erica.sereno. And then on Twitter, it's erica underscore sereno, I think. Let me check. <laughs> <laughs> Well, bear with me, Well nerds. Uh let's see, let's see. Yes, the underscore. Erica underscore Serena. So adopt for the Instagram underscore for Twitter. Yeah. awesome Serena. C-I-R-I-N-O. And my first name is Erica with a C. We'll put that in the story notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, put
0: that in the show notes. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking some time thank to talk you about your book. Thank you. It's nice to close the loop after episode 56 now that the book's so much out. I
2: so fun talking with both of you and great questions. Yeah, thank you.
0: So, um yeah, you can follow along with Erica, you can buy her book, and you can also follow along with us at Whale Nerds on Facebook or Instagram or you can check out our website thewhalenerds.com. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. Oh, thank you to our Patreon people as always as well um you guys are getting a little sneak preview of a couple things we've got going on behind the scenes on there if you want to join patreon to figure out what the heck i'm talking about um you can go to our website and just click the patreon link on our menu bar and see what's going on there you can support for as little as one dollar a month if you want to so uh yeah thanks everyone yeah good night see ya bye